Uh, Genesis chapter 16. Genesis 16, um, this is a really fun part of the Bible to talk about today. This is the part, if you're new today, you're going to be like, okay, after I read this chapter to you, you're going to go, this is why I don't read the Bible. It's chapters like this. They're just weird. I think that they're um, wrong in every way. And uh, this, is why I, this is why I don't read it. And, and uh, to be honest, this is why I love it. Um, because the Bible doesn't pull punches. It doesn't, it doesn't hide people's sin. Just like uh, God sees it all. And so he puts it all here in chapter 16. This is, I think this we're going to talk about today. This is probably more of our lives are found in this chapter than maybe a lot of the other chapters we've been studying so far in Genesis. But let me read to you. You'll get what I'm talking about. And then uh, let me pray. By the way, Sarah, her name's just about to change this. Uh, her name is Sarai right now. Her name is just about to change to Sarah. That's next week. So if I, in my teaching I say Sarah or Sarai, just roll with it, okay? Um, same thing with Abraham. Uh, right here, it's a- Abram, and it will be Abraham next week. So cut me some slack. All right, verse 1. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had bore him no children. And he had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to, to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant, my, the slave, and it may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So Abram had lived 10 years in the land of Canaan, and Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he went into Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress, Sarai. And Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. you gave, I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between me and you. But Abram said to Sarai, behold, your servant is in your, in your power. Do to her as you please. Then Sarah dealt harshly with her, and Hagar fled. And the angel of the Lord found Hagar by the spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? And she said, I'm fleeing from my mistress, Sarai. And the, Lord, and the angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. And the angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said to her, behold, you're pregnant and you shall bear a son and you shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord has listened to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, his hand against everyone and everyone's hand against him, and he shall dwell over against all his kinsmen. So she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are the God of seeing. For she said, truly, I have seen him who looks after me. Therefore, the well is called Beer Lahai Rai. Uh, it lies between Kadesh and Berid. And Hagar bore Abram a son, and Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was six, 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. Let's pray. Ask God for help in this passage. God, we thank you. I thank you for your grace and your love, your patience with us as your people. I ask God that, um, that you would speak to us today. These things that are in our heart, these things that, we're, that we might be dealing with, these things that maybe there's a lot of passion in our hearts right now to, to get uh, the project that we have done or the, the thing that we want. We, we see something before us, whether it's a relationship or a, a career path or an education. We just want that thing so bad. I pray that we'd wait upon the Lord. 
I ask that, God, that for the next several minutes, you would slow our hearts down. And though we might go home to a, a whole bunch of work, a crazy work week, a crazy school week, would you calm our hearts right now and that we would hear you? Keep us from making mistakes, God. Make us attentive to your word, dependent upon you. Teach us from this. Teach us warnings and teach us truth and life and show us Jesus, we pray. I ask that you would anoint me, use me. I need your help desperately in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, in our study of Genesis, we've been studying Genesis for quite some time now or a little bit now, and we've, we've seen and read through many stories um, through the book of Genesis that make very good Sunday school lessons. This is not one of them. This story here is not what you put on flannel graph. This is not what you teach kids on Sunday morning. There's a lot of graphic language here. In English, it's kind of subdued. It's kind of brushed over. But in Hebrew, when the language that the Old Testament was written in, or Genesis was written in, um, this is very graphic. Some of the language that we'll talk about is very graphic. So there's a little warning for you. This is actually another, another thing difficult about this. This is actually a difficult passage to unravel. We are very far from the context of the ancient Near East, and it might cause us to look at this passage with, uh, with a bit of, um, maybe a little bit judgmentally. We look at it, and we're like, oh my gosh, a servant, a slave given to, sold into slavery and given to, he, uh, to Abram as a wife, and, and then was treated harshly by, by Sarah, and she flees and all this stuff, and God says, go back? Like, what in the world is happening? This is why I don't like the Bible. I believe we proved last week that it's very hard to, to understand Genesis at first glance because it's steeped in culture. We're very far removed today from the context of Genesis. And if you remember from Genesis chapter 15, we proved this outright. Remember last week when Abraham goes before God and Abraham has left everything. He's like, God, how will I know? How will I know that you, that you're going to provide for me um, um, teach me, uh, show me how you're going to give me, bring me to this land and give me a kid. Well, prove to me, God, show yourself to me. And God says, you want to know how, how you're going to know? Um, bring me a heifer and a female goat and a ram and cut them in half. And, and even last week, someone said, I don't even know what a heifer is. Like you read this, you're like, what is a heifer? Where do I get one? How do I know? When you're looking at and you're reading this, this, this really, like, it becomes apparent that you and I are not in this culture. When God says, God, show me, show me yourself. How, how do I know that you, and he's like, well, bring me a heifer. And you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. But we said Abraham would have known immediately what this meant. Abraham would have known immediately when God said, bring me a heifer and a goat and cut them in half what God was doing. And it takes context. It takes cultural background, and it takes interpretation to understand. So it is with today's text. So far, in the, in the Abrahamic narrative, we've seen God calling Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldeans to follow him and leave everything behind. God told Abraham, leave family and leave your land and leave your inheritance. Why? Because I'm going to give you a family. I'm going to make you a great nation. And not just that, I'm going to bring you into a land and leave behind all your inheritance. Why? Because I will be your inheritance. And we saw very courageously Abraham leaving Abraham following God, not knowing where he was going. We use that phrase, go and I will show you. This is kind of the vernacular that God uses with Abraham. You don't know where you're going to go, Abraham. You're going to walk by faith, not by sight. Go and I will show you. And very courageously and, and almost fearlessly, Abraham goes. 
And all of these stories really inspire us. They inspire courage and faith. Abraham leaving everything. Abraham being called out by God, not knowing where he was going, trusting and believing. And when he started to doubt, and when doubt started to settle into his heart, God took Abraham outside and showed him the stars and said, Abraham, gaze up at the stars and look at all of the stars. Look at all of them. And Abraham did, and he said, it's going to be like that. I will make your nation, I will make your people as numerous and as expansive as the stars in the sky. And Abraham believed, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And all of these stories are so inspiring. The last several weeks, the last couple weeks, um, we've been very inspired by these stories. I've been teaching them, and so many people have been like, I've been so inspired by the life of Abraham, his faith. But we come to chapter 16. Let me be completely honest here. I know myself, and I know a lot of you. I know what counseling appointments are made. I know some of the prayer requests in this building. I know the sins and the blunders and the mistakes made by myself and made by you. And so I can say with a little bit of confidence that we're not really chapter 12. We're not even really chapter 15. Most of us in here, if we're honest, are chapter 16. We live with these lapses, these failures, these lapses of faith. These times where we trust God and then we go our own way anyway. Where, we're, where, where in a moment of, of, of sobriety ha- happens, you're like, how did I get here? How did I get so far from the plan of God? How did I get, like, I, if you would have told me two years ago that I would be here. I'm not talking about San Francisco or this church. But I mean, like, where you're at here. Maybe in, in a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in a part of. Or, or in, in doing something that you know that you know as a follower of God, I should not be doing this. But you're doing it. You're like, how did I get here? In a moment of sobriety, you're there, and you know it, and you're like, this is chapter 16. I mean, if you, you see this like this unraveling of their faith. They believe God, and they follow God, and they, and they go the way of God, and then all of a sudden, chapter 16, everything falls apart. And it's like they have this huge lapse of faith. This is why I love the Bible. It's truth. It doesn't hide the mistakes of one Father Abraham and Sarah, the patriarch and matriarch of the faith. It doesn't hide their sin, but it breaks their failures wide open so that we can see that. And we can see this, that everyone, everyone is saved by grace. Everyone. Abraham is saved by grace. Sarah is saved by grace. Hagar is saved by grace. Everyone, you, me, doesn't matter the church you go to or where you grew up, you're only saved by grace. This is what the Bible says over and over and over again. Yes, we can look at Abraham like, yeah, look at, look at his faith, but then a chapter later, it's just like he's, he's sleeping with this, his wife's servant. Like, wait, what happened to his faith? I thought he was trusting God. And we see this over and over again. The Bible is a book about the grace and the faithfulness of God despite the sin and faithlessness of humanity. If you want to know what the Bible is based, like it, what, what it's about, it, this is what it's about. Again and again and again and again, the faithfulness of God and the faithlessness of us and God breaking in over and over and over again. And this is what we see. So this is, let me give you a little, um, and this, this kind of, this sort of thing is put on full display in chapter 16. But let me give you a little, a little bit about how this chapter breaks out. This is kind of how the chapter breaks out. The first thing that we're going to see in this chapter is the problem, okay? The problem. So we all, we all, we all know this sort of thing. We all live with with situations where, we're, where we have a problem. Okay, but look at what happens next. Their solution. Okay, this is what happens next. The problem, their solution. This is a lot of us. We have a problem, and then we have a solution. But then part three, a deeper problem. This is what happens. Okay, I, I have a problem. Okay, how am I going to solve it? I know how I'll solve it. 
And then there's a bigger problem, like, oh man, I didn't see that coming. Then, this is us too. What happens next? Their solution part two. Okay, okay, I have a better solution. I know how to fix the first problem and the second problem. And then finally, divine intervention. God saves. And then there's resolution. So let's look at this. This is, this is how the, the text reads. And this is actually how probably a lot of our lives read. I have a problem. I have a solution. I have another problem. I have another solution. I need God. <laughs> so the problem, started, the, the, the problem started around here. God had promised Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son and that their son um, would be their heir. And that heir would carry on the family name. That that heir would inherit the land that God had promised them. It would, they would be more numerous than the stars in the sky. And the whole reason why God was doing this, the momentum of this entire promise, was that God would bless the world through Abraham's seed. I'm going to bless you that you can bless others. And through you, I'm going to bless the world. Through you, I'm going to bring about redemption. Through you. And so they had this promise. They were living with this promise. And they were living with this promise of a child. They had left everything. And they were living with this problem for 10 or this, this promise for 10 years. God had promised them something, and they were waiting for it for 10 years. And the same problem remained that had been there since we first met this couple. Sarah was barren. She couldn't have any kids. She was unable to have children, which in that culture was the most shameful thing to happen to a woman, even worthy of divorce. If you could not produce a child within 10 years of marriage, you could be divorced. Now, this isn't biblical law. This was actually cultural but this is the culture they lived in. This is how big of a deal having a child was. Another problem was Sarah was getting older. She was almost at the age where having a child would be physically impossible as a woman. She couldn't have a child. Her body, not only was she barren, but on top of that, her body couldn't even have a child even if she wanted to. She couldn't have one. And now, the face with this, there's nothing that Sarah wanted more in, this, in the world than to have a child. She wanted a baby more than anything. There's always that thing in our life. There's always that one thing in our life that we think, if I have this, it will solve all of my problems. If I just had this one thing, if I had this one thing, all the other pieces of my life would kind of like fall in line. All my pain will go away. If this one thing happened, all my pain would go away. We, always, we all live with this thing. All my anxiety will cease if this one thing happened. All of my want will stop. I'll be truly happy. I wouldn't ask for anything else if this one thing happens. That thing might be money. If I just had this, then all my loans would be paid off and I would be so happy. Everything else could go wrong, but if that's one thing happened, it could be a a career, if this career lines up, or if if this spouse, if I find the right spouse, or a friend, or If I lose 15 pounds, everything would be better. I would ask for nothing else, God. Or that one big break in your career. Or a baby. I mean, it could still be a baby. If if I just had a kid. Why did Sarah want a child so bad? She desperately wanted a baby. Why did she want one so bad? She is married to Abraham, who left everything to follow God. Sarah wanted to do her part. Abraham left everything. Abraham, we've seen in the, in the, in the narrative, as he's not sterile. He's pretty fertile. It's Sarah's problem. She's like, I have to do, I have to do my part here. 
I'm not doing my part. Like, okay, Abraham left God, I mean, left, left everything. We're following God. All the promise is based on my womb, and I can't produce a child. I have to know that I'm more than just a pretty, beautiful woman, and she is. We, we, we established that. I have to know that I'm not just this trophy wife. I have to show that I'm actually, I can produce in this, in this relationship. I can, bring, I can bring something to the table here. I have to show them that I matter. And this is what it meant for Sarah. It was everything for Sarah. She wanted, she wanted desperately to have a baby. And all of it hinged on having a baby. And it's subtle in this narrative. It's more subtle even as we talk a little bit more about the culture. But Sarah willingly goes around God to get what she wants. Now listen, this is, this is, this is something that, guys, that this is so easy to do. She goes around God to get what she wants. She knows what she wants, and she knows that what she sees is this. God is standing in the way of what I want, and I will go around God to get what I want. Verse 2, Sarah goes to Abraham and says, here is my servant. Marry her. Go into her. Get her pregnant, and then when we have a child, she will be mine. Now, before you flip out here, and though there might be a little bit of, of uh, justification to flip out, before you flip out, you need to know that this was a very common and culturally acceptable thing to do. Before you go, oh my gosh, this is so wrong. No, this is actually very, very culturally acceptable. It was, the, it was an ancient form of surrogacy and was used widely in the ancient Near East. From a cultural perspective, there is nothing out of the ordinary here. So when, when Sarah said, okay, I, want, I have this idea, um, Abraham, I want you to, to, to take my, my handmaiden, I want you to take my servant, I want you to, to I'm going to give you her as a wife, and I want you to sleep with her, and then when she has a baby, it will be ours. Now, you guys, you and I were like, oh my gosh, that's horrible. It was completely acceptable there. So what I want to do right here at this moment is, I want, I want you to realize, I want you to act like you don't know the rest of the story, Okay. So can you just block out the rest of the story in your mind? Imagine you only know Genesis chapter 1 through 16, verse 2, okay? You don't, know, you don't know verse 3 yet, okay? You're reading it, and it's all new to you. Maybe some of you, it is new. You're like, I never read this part of the Bible before, okay? So verse 2, if, you, if, you were, if this was the first time you were reading this, and you were steeped in the culture of ancient Near East, this would have been completely acceptable to you. You would have totally got this. You would have been like, like, okay, two people can't have kids. The promise of God needs to move forward. Um, Sarah goes, okay, I have this idea. I want, to, I want you to take, and we're going to have a surrogacy pregnancy. We're going to use uh, uh, some, some, uh, some form of fertilization, uh, ancient form of fertilization. I want you to take my servant and sleep with her, and the baby that she has will be ours. If you're reading this, you're like, that's actually ingenious. That's a very innovative way to move the promises of God forward. This girl's using the mo- modern means to, to advance the kingdom of God. This is very, very good. If you just knew this context and just knew this part of the story, you, you would read this and go, this is actually really smart. There's nothing wrong. And if you're going, well, isn't it wrong? That, I mean, we all know, if you know the rest of the story, what, what God is doing here is preserving the line to get to Jesus. If you ever read Matthew or Luke, there's always this back genealogy that ties them to Abraham, right? So what, what God's doing is kind of preserving. So if you're thinking, well, it's not really f- good that, that a, a, servant, a slave girl, Hagar, would be in the line of Jesus, Okay, if you've ever read the line of Jesus before, like the, all his, his ancestors, there's like prostitutes and whores in there. I mean, there's some crazy people in there. So this is nothing, okay? I mean, Hagar, if Hagar was in there, it would be no big deal. Don't think, oh my gosh, Ishmael, you shouldn't be. No, if you're just reading this, you're like, hey, just, we're just about to read Judah and Tamar, and that's way worse than this. Way worse than this, okay? So, so you can't, uh, up, up to this point, you can't just kind of go, Psh, 
This is so wrong. Okay, don't go there yet. Stay in, in, in the narrative as it's unfolding. Right here, all we know is this. This is an acceptable form of surrogacy. Sarah is being very innovative. They want to move the promises of God forward. This is all acceptable culturally. However, there is something very subtle in the text that you, have to, you and I have to pay attention to that doesn't stand out unless you get that first piece. That this is acceptable. This is a, a normal form of surrogacy. This is them trying to move the promises of God forward. You could almost get away with that. However, there is this little subtle thing in the narrative that when you read it, you should think, okay, this is probably not good. This is something bad, something that tips off the reader that, that this brewing situation is not good. And here it is in verse 2. Sarah said to Abraham, behold, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Okay, that should tip off us as readers. What she's about to do isn't necessary. It's, it's her heart. She says in her heart, okay, the Lord is preventing me from having children. Do you see what's happening here? Sarah thinks that if she's going to achieve her destiny, if the things she really wants is going to come true, she has to go out and get it for herself because God is working against her. God is not letting me get what I want, so I have to make it happen for myself. Now, there's a lot of irony and tension here because the thing that Sarah wants is also the thing that God wants. God wants to bless Sarah. God wants to bring uh, about the, the, uh, a nation through Abraham and Sarah. God wants to do that. But Sarah says, God is standing against me, and he's standing in the way of what he wants me to want. He's getting in the way of giving me what he wants, me to, give, wants to give me. It's really odd. It's like God wants to give me a family, but he's preventing me from giving me what he wants. He's kind of a confusing God. This is what Sarah's saying. Like, God wants to bless me, but he doesn't want to bless me. And so I'm going to go and get it for myself. See, I, I believe that most of us really want what God wants. Even in our, even in our folly, even in our sin, even in our waywardness, even in, in, our, in, 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 in lead, leading a path of destruction, we basically want what God wants. We, we want peace. Not just world peace, we want inner peace. We want love. We desire that people love each other and accept each other. We want happiness and joy and we want companionship. Did you know that God wants all of these things too? The reason why you want them is because that's how they were in the garden. That's how they were. We all had this echo of the way things were. We all live with these, these echoes, these memories, these faint memories of the way things were in the garden. We all want to go back there. And what do you think God wants for us? He wants to get us back there. But here's the problem. I want love, but I don't want it the way God wants me to have it. I want it the way I want it. I want happiness, but I don't want to wait for God's archaic blessing and happiness. It's so old. I want, it, I want what, what makes me happy now. We want what God wants, but we go about it in our own way. We're like, oh yeah, God wants what, what I want. God wants those things for me. Well, it feels like he's preventing me from having them. It feels like he's preventing me from having them. And so what do we do? We go out and we get them for ourselves. I'll go out and get love for myself. I'll go out and get peace for myself. I'll get, go out and get happiness. I'll go out and get companionship. I'll go and do it myself. Every person that you would ever deem immoral, no matter, no matter how immoral their profession or their lives, every act that you've ever done that's completely immoral, the thing that everyone's really after is the thing that God really wants to give them, but they're trying to get it for themselves. Every single thing. And it has spiraled itself downward to become a profession or become a hobby. If you giving yourself what God really wants to give you, but you're trying to get it in your own cheap way. Everything. 
Name it. Name the thing that you really want. God wants to give that to you, but you're trying to get it your own way. And so it's empty. It's void. It's like it doesn't fulfill you, and it brings bitterness. And when you finally get it, you're like, this is not what I really wanted. I wanted something else. I want something more. I want something bigger, better, faster, whatever. This is what we do all the time. What did Sarah do? She took her servant, her handmaid, some of your translations read, and she gave her to Abraham as a second wife. Here's another clue of the situation being a bad situation. Here's another clue, okay? Now, we've already said in the context, the cultural context, it's kind of amoral. It's like in that time, it's just what happened. But we read into it, okay, this is kind of bad. Here's some, here's some signposts that it's bad. Look at verse 2. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 3. Um, the end of verse 2, and Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. Abraham listened to the voice of Sarah. The way the narrator writes this is he writes it in a way that he brings the reader's mind back to Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember Genesis chapter 3? Genesis chapter 3, Eve takes the fruit. Nobody knows what fruit it is. Pomegranate, fig, banana, whatever. So she takes it and she gives it to Adam who was with her and they consented and they ate. And then when God showed up, he said, Adam, because you listened to the voice of your wife. Abraham listened to the voice of his wife. Now, what's the moral of the story? A lot of you guys are going, don't listen to my wife. Like, that's, <laughs> that's obvious. That's not the moral of the story. Okay, don't leave with that. That's not what this is saying. This is not saying don't listen to your wife, okay? Listen to your wife. That's a really good, really good advice from someone who's been married for almost 10 years. Listen to your wife. But that's not what this is talking about. This is what it's talking about. This is what the narrative is kind of pointing to. Adam and Eve... Um, uh, Abraham and Sarah, they're both falling. They're falling into sin. And they're, both couples consented to trying to get the blessing of God their own way. Adam and Eve, okay, we, we want to know. And the way that we're going to know, we're going to go, God said not to do this, but we're going to do this anyway. We're going to go our own way. Abraham and Sarah, we're going to get the blessing our own way. God's not helping us out. We've got to help ourselves. And they both consented in going their own way. That's just, this is what sin is. That's just, this is the point. They're going their own way. And Abraham went into her, and Hagar was fertile, and she conceived a child. And what they don't know at the time, but what we as readers know, is Abraham and Sarah believed that they were hurdling an obstacle, when in reality they were creating an additional one. They're like, okay, well, this is, we're going to hurdle this obstacle. I have a plan. But what they didn't know, and this is what we do a lot as well. Like what we don't know is that we're actually creating more problems. We're actually creating obstacles by going around and going about things in our own way. The text says that Hagar got pregnant and maybe she started to show that little baby bump and she looked at Sarah with contempt. Did you, did you read that? Like all of a sudden Hagar gets pregnant. Hagar is Sarah's servant and she started to look at her with disrespect. She started to look at Sarah going, look what I can do and you cannot do. See, these are, these are real modern feelings that have never gone away. You don't even have to add contempt to it. Let's just, let's just imagine this for a second. Imagine you're single and all of your friends around you are falling in love and getting married. All of your friends, except for you. And you're like, okay, all my friends are getting married. They're in love, and they're marrying great people, and their weddings are really expensive. I can't afford to go to all your, you invite me to all your weddings, all your stuff. I'm broke, and I'm bummed. Because first off, all my friends are falling in love and getting married, and I'm not. And there's, that, there's a feeling there. 
There's a real feeling there whether, you, whether you're going to admit it or not. You know, when all of your friends do this and you're the one left out. Now, imagine adding contempt to that. Imagine adding your friends like, well, you're not married because you're just not as, not as cute as I am. <laughs> Can you imagine adding that to it? Like, you're already feeling the fact that, okay, your, we- your wedding's really expensive and all of your little cute kissing is grossing me out, okay? Your little love stuff, and your like notes to text things, and your Twitter things back and forth. Just text each other. Stop Twittering each other. You know, like, you're like all, you're like, you're making me sick, okay? I'm, I'm over it. But what if you added just a little contempt to that, too? What if you added, well, you just need to find the right guy. You just haven't found the right guy. Like, I, I knew who was the right one from there. Like, you started adding, like, maybe if you, maybe if you, like, maybe just did your hair better, or if you did, maybe if you, like, went to the gym, <laughs> Imagine adding a little contempt. Now you're, now you're starting to get this. I mean, you don't even have to, even if you added, when you add contempt, what happens? War happens. This is what movies are made of right here. Okay, imagine a couple, and all the couples around them are having babies, and they can't. There's a feeling there. Recognize or not, like, there's a feeling there. If someone, there's a feel, but imagine adding a little contempt to that. God maybe just wants us to raise kids, and maybe not you. Maybe God loves us more. Add a little contempt to that. What happens? I'm I'm more of a, we're more of a family because we can have kids and you can't. Add a little contempt and what does it do? It, it, first of all, it just destroys you. Second of all, it makes you want to fight. Like, okay, that's war. Now it's on. I'm going to beat you up. So I don't know what's going to happen next. You add contempt to it and now you want to fight. This is what's happening here. Hagar gets pregnant. Pregnant. I always say pregnant. My wife's like, Dave, it's pregnant. Okay, sorry. So, Hagar gets pregnant, and, and then there's contempt. There's like, look at, look, at, look at what I can do. One commentator says this. When Hagar got pregnant, Hagar, wow. When Hagar got pregnant, her spite and feeling of superiority came from her confidence that a deity had blessed her and that Abram was now dependent on her since she carried the heir to the family in her womb. She started looking, going, look at, you need me? Abraham needs me. God has opened my womb and God has closed your womb. And she would also understood that now there's this really special connection between Abraham and Hagar. There's this subtext of maybe God does love her more. Now recall, remember, the problem, the solution, this is the deeper problem. I have a great idea. Marry my, my servant. And legally, that child will be ours, and it can be the heir of deeper problem. This is the deeper problem. Everyone hates each other. Sarah can't handle it anymore, and this is what happens. Look at verse 5. And Sarah said to Abraham, and this is actually really graphic, may the wrong done to me be on you. I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Now, it's kind of subdued and softened in our translation, but literally, this is the outrage of an angry, angry wife. The language here is played down, but it means like the, 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 that phrase, servant, I gave my servant to your embrace. That word, that word embrace is lap, which, which is an idiom for genitals. She is angry. I mean, I don't even have to say it. You know exactly what she's saying. It's like, I gave my this is what I, I threw her at you, and well, you know, you, know, you can read between the lines. <laughs> she, it was graphic. She goes, and, and then look at, what she, look at the way she's looking at me. 
May, may this be on your head and may God judge between us. I'm, I'm, and she's livid. She's furious. She's hurt. So there's solution part two. Well, how do we fix this? This is what Abraham does. Abraham tries to fix it by saying, Sarah, she's your servant. I mean, you gave her to me as a wife. I give her back to you as a servant. She's your slave. Do whatever you want with her. That's his solution. The man of faith. She's like, hey, I washed my hands. You can have her back. I'm done. Like, whatever. She's pregnant. Do whatever you want. And then Sarah starts treating her harshly, meaning she, she she probably physically beat her. This is not the shining moment of the people of faith. Sarah goes back and starts to treat Hagar harshly. Hagar flees back to her homeland. And the plot thickens because, if, again, if you're just reading this and you don't know the rest of the story, you're like, um, there is the heir of Abraham running away. Like Hagar is running away with Abraham's baby. Like all you know at this point is that's the heir. That's it. That's all Abraham knows. That's all anyone knows. Like Sarah can't have a baby. So you're, thinking, you're reading, you're like, no, where's he going? Like the, 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 the only son is running away. And Hagar's like, I got him, I'm running. And like she runs away to, to Egypt to go back home. And then here, God breaks in to the situation. This is where God steps in. And she meets this mysterious angel of the Lord. And he says to her, where have you come from and where are you going? And she answers the first part of the question, but not the second part of the question. She answers the first part, I'm fleeing from that psycho chick, Sarah. Like, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm over it. That's what, she, that's what she says to him. And the angel says, why, why, why are you leaving? Well, because she's, she's treating me harshly. And then he says, this angel says, go back and submit, which kind of makes her skin crawl. You're like, why? Why would God do that? Why would, the, why would the angel of the Lord say, go back and submit? Well, here's why. First reason why is because he was going to bless her in this child. Uh, look at what he says. This is actually um, kind of weird when you read it. So again, context, right? So we don't really say this anymore, but he's like, hey, listen, there's a prophecy. This is your son. You're going to have a son. Name him Ishmael. He will be a wild donkey of a man. And his hand against everyone, everyone's hand against him. And he shall dwell over his kindred all of his days. Now, when, I, when you think that, you're like, so the, God told me that he'll be a wild donkey of a man. Like no one takes that and like, ah, oh, awesome. <laughs> this is going to be a great son. This is going to be... But, but again, culture, this would have actually been a very, very highly valued description and prophecy back then in the ancient Near East. Hagar would have been stoked on this. Like, your son will be a wild donkey and everybody will be against him and he'll be, he'll be a man of war, he'll be a man of, of his hands and everybody will, he'll fight and he'll make a name for himself and he'll have many descendants. He will be a great man. Now, to us today, that doesn't sound like it. It would be like us, if, if Angel said, your son will be a free spirit. That's more acceptable than wild donkey of a man. Your son will be a free spirit, and he'll go to Stanford and drop out and start a startup company and make billions. And everybody, he'll be everybody's enemy on the way, on the way up. Everybody will hate him, and then he'll fight the paparazzi his whole life, and investors will fire over him, and it'll be great. Now, you get that prophecy, you're like, oh, my son's going to be awesome. <laughs> See, this wild donkey, like this whole thing, this would have been a very attractive thing. God tells um, Hagar to go back because I'm going to bless your son. Go back because I'm going to bless him. But the second reason, and this is, this is, this is the, the whole point of the narrative is what this angel says to Hagar. He was sending Hagar back with a message. I want you to go back because I want you to tell them something. I want you to be a living picture of something. I want you to go back and I want you to name your son 
God hears. And then she names the angel, you are the God who sees. She's to go back with the message of faith. She's to go back with the message of hope. She's to go back to Abraham and say to them and testify to them that I met the God who sees. And he told me that I should name my boy the God who hears. God has been seeing in this whole situation. And, and what's, what's, um, what's ironic, this is ironic to the narrative as well because there's been this whole interplay with seeing. If you picked it up. The way that Hagar saw that she was pregnant and the way that she looked with contempt. She saw she was pregnant. She saw Sarah. She looked with her with contempt. She, Sarah sees that. She runs to, to Abraham. Do you see the way she's looking at me? Do something. There's this whole seeing interplay. And at the end, God's like, actually, I'm the one who sees. I see everything. I saw this whole act of, of doubt. I saw this whole act of like trying to do I see it all. And there's, again, this whole interplay of hearing. Everyone's talking to each other. No one's talking to God. Everyone in here doesn't realize that, that God listens. God hears. They can pray. They can ask God. And God, can, God has spoken to them. But no one's listening to God. Actually, Abraham's listening to the voice of his wife. Hagar was sent back with a message. Abraham, Sarah, God sees and God hears. Every time you see me, you see this baby boy, God hears, God sees. He knows Sarah is barren. He knows you two are getting older. He knows all the threats that surround his promises. He knows he hears your heart. He hears your prayers. He knows and he sees and he hears what's going on. Hagar went back with that message. And how did the chapter end? We know that Hagar, in a sense, preached that message. Because look at how this chapter ends, verse 15. Abraham called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, God hears. Abraham got it. God does hear. This boy shall be named Ishmael, because God hears. Now, who's the, who's the protagonist of this story? Like, you're reading the story like, okay, who do we blame? Who do we yell at? Like, who? Actually, it's, it's hardly Hagar. She, I mean, she was treated very, very wrongly indeed. But she's pretty far from being the hero, um, Sarah and Abraham are very far from being the hero in the story. Well, then who is? This angel of the Lord. Angels are very, very um, tricky for us when we, talk, when we talk about angels in the Bible. Because I think a lot of us in here in our culture think that we're going to become angels when we die. You don't become an angel when you die. So if you learned it here first, write it down somewhere. You don't become an angel, okay? A lot of people think that. They get confused with angels. Like, who's this angel? You don't become an angel when you die. Angels are messengers of God. They're not God. However, this is the first time we've seen an angel like this. This is not an angel of the Lord. It says, I am the angel of the Lord. The angel says that he will bless Ishmael and his descendants. Language that God uses, the same language that God uses in his speech with Abraham. And then after Hagar sees this angel, she says, I'm going to name you God who sees. This is simply not an angel that met Hagar, but it was God. God appearing in a form either of a man, of an angel, of something that Hagar wouldn't have been necessarily afraid of because he says, do not fear, something very approachable to Hagar, where Hagar saw and was like, hi, like, where are you going? I'm fleeing. This is a similar thing that happened in John chapter 4. 
Jesus meets this woman who is a lot like Sarah and Hagar. Sarah, uh, like Sarah, this woman was made, uh, had some pretty bad, made some pretty bad decisions. And like Hagar, she was exploited by men and probably cried out to God a lot in her afflictions. And she too, like Hagar, met this man by a well. And Jesus found her by a well and strikes up a conversation with her and offers her living water. You guys probably remember this story. A water for the thirst that she can't satisfy on her own efforts. She wants this water. Jesus says, okay, you want this water? Go and get your husband first. She's like, well, I don't, I don't really have a husband. She's like, okay, you're right. You had five husbands, and the guy that you're living with is not your husband. She knows that she's in the midst of something greater than a man. She realizes it's now when, she, when, when this man, this random guy, calls her out going, I, how did you know I don't have five, I had five husbands, the man I live with is not my husband. How do you, you must be, she's like, this is not, you must be a prophet. Then she goes in this whole rant, like, there's just a lot of conflict about who God is these days. I mean, religion has muddled things up quite a bit. Jews say worship here, we say worship there. It's all very confusing. There's been a lot of fighting recently, fighting that actually started here in Genesis 16. So all this religious back and forth, this fighting. Jesus says, let me, let me clear this up. Let me clear up all this confusion for you. God is seeking worshipers. God is going out and seeking hurting people, broken people. He's out seeking people who will worship him in spirit and truth. God is actually out seeking people. And she's like, yeah, yeah, okay, okay. Well, don't get all religious on me. Don't try. I will, okay, I don't want to talk about this right now. I'll, we'll know all things when the Messiah comes. We'll know all things when the deliverer comes. We'll know all things when he'll come and clear it up. And then Jesus says this, I who speak to you am he. That's me. I'm the one that was promised. I'm the one that's come to bring that living water. I'm the one that's come to heal brokenness. I'm the one that's come to, that, that hears, that's seeking. I mean, the whole, the whole even irony here in John chapter four is God seeking the worshipers and Jesus seeking this woman. Jesus is God, is God seeking this woman out. It's the exact same thing that was happening with Hagar. God is seeking her out. So who's the hero in this story? It's this God who keeps appearing at wells. It's this God who keeps appearing and showing up and saying, I who speak to you am he. I'm the one who sees. I'm the one who hears. See, many of us think that if we keep moving, if we keep producing, if we keep looking, keep dating, keep working, keep pursuing, that eventually the right thing will happen. Everything will fall in line. If I just keep working 100 hours a week, then everything will fall in line, and then I'll, I'll finally be able to take that, those two days off. If I just keep pursuing and I keep looking, then that, the right person will come in my life. If I keep doing this, I'll have enough money to do what I really want to do. If I just keep going, go, 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 and, until God just like has to break in when we have nothing left. When we have no water, when we've been just beat up by everyone around us, we're like, we're just, and this is, where, this is the point where God finds us. This is where God breaks in. And he says, I, I'm seeking you. I hear you. I see you. If God sees us and God hears us, why in the world do we live as if he doesn't? Why do we keep living as if I'm, I'm trying to grasp at the things that God wants to give me if I just waited on him. I know this is antithetical to the way that we live as people that live in San Francisco or the Bay Area that's just overworked and just going like crazy. But the way that the Bible speaks that the people of God are to live is quite opposite 
It teaches us to stop, to seek God who hears us and sees us. And, and I pray that it's happening right now, that if you've been going like crazy and you're just tired and worn out, this is, this is that well moment for you where God's just breaking into your life and like, would you please just stop for a second? What are you laboring for? What are you working for? What are you doing this for? Why do you keep going around the way that, I've, the way that I, I, I plan things? Why do you keep going around my word? Why do you keep doing this? Just abide in me. Trust in me. Hope in me. I pray that's happening right now in your own heart. Let me pray for you. God, I pray that, I pray, God, that you would make your way, you would speak, Holy Spirit, that you would speak right now. That we stop all our laboring, all our vain pursuits of the things that we really want and just wait upon you. We repent, God, for going and going about the promises of God in our own way. Lord, I admit that we're about one or two decisions away of making really horrible mistakes like Abraham and Sarah. Maybe some of us are in there, in that moment right now. God who sees and God who hears, would you deliver us? Would you save us, God? We turn to you and we ask that, that you would hear us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.